We're going to be in Romans 7 today, so if you want to open up your Bibles to Romans 7, we're going to spend most of our time there. Welcome again to anybody who came in while we were singing there. Uh, glad you're with us here uh, this Sunday morning. Uh, but to begin, I want to ask a question. Have you ever enjoyed something only to have other people ruin it for you? Okay. As I thought about this, uh, the first thing that came to my mind was Facebook. People have ruined Facebook. <laughs> um, it used to be cool, right? Um, I remember when I was in middle school, we had a thing called MySpace. And MySpace was awesome because I could put like a song on my profile and it could look fun and I could post pictures. But now it's like you go on Facebook and it's not fun anymore. It used to be like, oh, I, I'll, I'll keep track of my friends this way or I'll post pictures of my family this way. It's not fun. Right? I, I use the marketplace quite often. You know, that's fun still, right? Things at a discounted rate. But for the most part, people have ruined Facebook for me. Okay? Uh, also, just kind of in line with the holiday season, Black Friday, I feel like, used to be cool. Right? You could go to Best Buy and get a deal. But then people got crazy. Right? And people are getting trampled by other people because they want a deal on the TV. But that deal was the same as it was last week. just looks different because it's Black Friday. Right? People ruined it. It'd be cool to get discounted stuff, but now it's just not cool anymore. And this is something that kind of strikes home to me right now where I'm at in my life. But people have ruined youth sports. Anybody familiar with youth sports lately? Participate maybe in them? Not yourself, but maybe someone you love, a child? Parents have ruined youth sports to the point where it's, like, frustrating to go to the games, okay? It's one of those things where you got kids out in an instructional league of basketball, and they're treating it like it's the NBA Finals. It is not fun. Your kid is six, right? It's not cool that you're screaming. and I can't even hear myself think because you're screaming at your child to not pass, to shoot, and to do all these things. It is crazy. People have ruined youth sports, okay? I think there are definitely obviously exceptions to this, but I'm just saying, kind of being a little bit hyperbolic here this morning, people tend to ruin good things for us. Things that we once liked that people ruin. And maybe this is just a me thing, right? This is just a my problem. You know, you should say, Jimmy, you should be ha have enough maturity to block those people out. You should be able to go on Facebook and look at videos of Tracy McGrady dunking. Or like Kobe Bryant sh shooting baskets. You can find that stuff on Facebook, but instead I, I find people arguing all the time. Or Jimmy, you know what, you go to the youth, youth sports and block all that extra noise out. But it's really hard when they're sitting right next to me, right? Um, I could block these things out, but it's, but it's hard, okay? Because people tend to ruin the things that I like most in life. And I find this kind of conflict in Romans 7, Okay? The conflict centers around not me and youth parents, right, uh, at youth sporting events, but the conflict centers around the law and sin. There's a major conflict here for Paul as we read through Romans. And I, I'm going to just say at the beginning, you and I could sit down in the same room and read Romans and have a thousand different opinions about what takes place. Romans is very, very big, a lot of big ideas. But this morning, we're going to look at Romans 7 within the lens of this conflict between the law and sin. And as we read this, I want you to have Paul in mind because we, we, we see him as the, the author of this letter. That these things are very important to Paul, okay? Think about Paul the Pharisee. 
as you read this. Think about the man who built his life around understanding the law, memorizing the law, teaching the law, and obeying the law. The law is very, very important to Paul, okay? But there's a conflict between the law and sin. Let's read this together, Romans 7, 4. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who is raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. Continuing on in verse 6. But now by dying to what, to what once was bound to us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And again, I want you to imagine Paul the Pharisee saying this to people. The very thing that his faith was was grounded in, he is now saying, you are now released from this. This thing that has dominated his entire life, his study, his pursuit of knowing God is tied up in the law, and he's saying, you have been released from the law so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit. So the question is, what does this say about law? Paul. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Of course, the law itself is not sinful. We're not looking at the law as a bad thing. Because look back, if we go back here and we say, well, you've been released from the law, you might infer, well, hey, the law is insignificant. It doesn't matter. But Paul would say, certainly not. The law is still very significant. The law is still very important because the law was what illuminated sin for Paul, for humanity, right? The law is very significant. If I never knew what, covered, what coveting was, did I actually sin, right? There's some ignorance there. It's the same kind of question as, If a tree falls in the forest, does it really make a sound, right? If no one's here to hear it, does the tree actually make a sound? What I think Paul is saying is the law is is kind of that way. If the law did not illuminate my sin, I would be ignorant to it. So yes, the law is good because it illuminates, but also the law illuminates the things that I'm doing wrong. Are you following with me this morning? The law shows me what I'm doing wrong. And Paul is wrestling with this idea. Paul is wrestling with sin and what it means for the followers of Christ. Because we just read this, and I think I want to keep going back to this. This is very important. We have been released from the law. Paul, the Pharisee, is saying this, okay? But he's also saying the law is not bad. It is not sinful. It is good. These things are coexisting. So since the law illuminates sin, life should be easy for us, correct? Right? <laughs> I like Tyrone's answer. It should be easy, right? It's one of those things where I was traveling home from Orlando yesterday, and I can just put in my address, and there's a blue line that takes me directly from where I am in Orlando to my driveway. It is very easy to follow those instructions. And if we look at the Bible and we say, we have the law, we have all this information, we know exactly what to do, we have this blue line directing us directly where we need to go, it should be easy. But it's not. It's not easy. It's like, to take that same GPS analogy, it's as if we have this blue line directing us directly to our driveway, but we're like, you know what? I think I'm going to take this random side street over here. I'm going to take a U-turn back here. I'll eventually get to where I'm going. 
But that's kind of how we use the law sometimes. That's how we use scripture sometimes. It's right in front of us, but it's still so difficult. Let's look at this. This is Paul in Romans 7 again. As it is, it is no longer I myself who does it. This is what he's talking about, the difficulty in following the law, okay? And remember, this is Paul the Pharisee. Paul the law-abiding citizen. It is no longer... I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do what, the, excuse me, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep on doing. And I'm saying if Paul is feeling this way, I guarantee a lot of us are feeling the same way, Right? That we know what we should do, but it's very difficult to sometimes do those things. We know what's truth. We know what we should be pursuing, but it still doesn't make it any easier. There's a lot bigger picture at play here, okay? And we can't neglect this. But the question that always nags me, okay, this is always in my head. If I really love God, shouldn't I be able to do it? I mean, I think about it like the relationship with my wife, if I truly love my wife, I will do you know, X, Y, and Z to make sure that she's happy and fulfilled. And I, I usually do those things pretty well, okay? I'm a pretty good husband sometimes. And I think about the relationship with God. If I truly love God, he supersedes even my relationship with my wife. If I truly love God, shouldn't I be able to do those things? And John 14, 15 says as much right here. Jesus says this himself. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I want to say this morning that I do love God. But sometimes it's difficult for me to keep his commandments. Am I alone? I don't think I am. It's very difficult to do this. But we know this. I'm saying this over and over, but we all know that it's not easy, right? Romans 7, 21 through 23. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. We can all say that this morning or else you wouldn't be here. I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me. This is important. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Very significant. See right there where it says, but I see another law at work in me, waging war. I'm not the first person to say this, but we are at war within ourselves about the things that we want to do and the things that we end up doing. The things that I ought not do, I end up doing. Right? Paul said that. There is a war raging within us. Once again, people make something good, or excuse me, make something bad that is supposed to be good. Right? The very things that God's like, here, do these things and we'll be, we'll be, we'll be great. We'll have a great relationship. People are like, nah, I'm going to do my own thing. People tend to make good things bad. There's a war happening within us. And this is a constant battle for, for Christians. And I would even say it's a constant battle for non-Christians as well. Okay, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the show Friends, uh, but when I was thinking about this text this week, a scene from Friends came to my mind when uh, Phoebe and Joey are having an argument if there's ever truly a, uh, a selfless good deed. Anybody familiar with this? Uh, the whole idea of the show, like this is a non-Christian show, okay? We all know that, okay? Um, but Joey, he's going on this telethon, and he's like, I can't wait to do all this good stuff. It's, it's, it's a good deed, and I also get some TV time. And Phoebe says, well, that's really selfish. 
you're going to do a good thing, but, but something good's going to happen to you. And then Joey's like, Phoebe, there's no such thing as a selfless good deed. So the rest of the episode, Phoebe's trying to do selfless good deeds. But what she keeps finding out is that it's pretty impossible, right? She goes and she sweeps up the, the leaves in front of her neighbor's house. And then that same neighbor brought her in and had, made tea for her. And she's like, I felt so good afterwards. It didn't count. And then she goes to the park and she has a bee sting her. And like, this is Phoebe, but she says... I let the bee sting me so he could look tough in front of his friends. And I got stung, so I don't feel good about it. And then Joey's like, well, the, the bee probably died after, after he stung you. So it's like a running joke. And, and, and like, it's, 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 it's ridiculous. But I think the bottom line is these people are not Christians, but they're still struggling with this idea, right? Of can you truly be good in this world, selflessly good in this world? People are always struggling with this idea. Am I a good person? Is what I'm doing actually self-serving or am I trying to be selfless? And as Christians, we look at this and we, and we see it in a different perspective. But I think everybody in this world is asking that same question. Am I good? Am I enough? Am I doing what is right? Everyone battles with selfishness and goodness. Everyone is constantly asking this question, am I good? And for Christians, we strive to reflect Christ in our lives. Am I good enough? Am I good enough for Christ? It's a constant battle. It's a constant war that we're having. And Romans 7 highlights the problem we face. The the, the wrestling that Paul is having, we wrestle the same way. The pursuit of goodness. So this is kind of our big question this morning. What does Romans 7 tell us about the war that we're in? Okay, to, to kind of back up here. In Romans 7, 21 through 23, there's another, work, uh, another law at work in me, wa- waging war against the law of my mind. What does it tell us about the war that we're in? We need to be aware of how sin operates. Okay? We have the law, we have the thing that we ought to do that we end up not doing. We have to recognize how sin operates within all of that in our lives. Okay? Let's look at this. Romans 7, verse 8. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. Romans seven eleven. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. We have to recognize that sin has the ability to seize you at any moment. For those of you who are Lion King fans, I'm thinking about when Mufasa is teaching Simba how to pounce. Right? And he's got Zazu up on that rock. And he says, turn around. And he's teaching Simba how to, how to pounce on his prey. And he says, you've got to wait. You've got to be quiet you got to wait for the perfect opportunity to seize your prey. And I think I have that mindset, I have that image in my head when I look at sin. Because sometimes I can think I can manage sin. I can say, you know what, I'm going to do this, but it's really not going to affect me the way it, it might affect somebody else because I'm stronger than that, right? Sin won't affect me if I, if I do this, or, or I can do this and it won't be that big of a deal. But if we read this and we think of that crouching lion coming and seizing the opportunity, sin is very dangerous. Okay? Sin seizes the opportunity when you least expect it. When you have your walls fortified, it's not that big of a deal. When those walls begin to break, that is when sin is going to seize the opportunity. 
We need to see this word and visualize it in our minds because that's exactly what sin does. Sin also has the ability to deceive us. Okay, I have this example right here from John 18. We talk about ourselves being susceptible to sin seizing us in our lives. Think about Peter, okay? Peter was one of the loudest disciples there was, right? He was ready to go to battle. He was ready to go fight for Christ. And before Christ is taken away, before anything bad really happens to him, Jesus confronts Peter and says, hey, by the end of all this, you're going to deny me three times. And then Peter's like, I would never do that. Right? Have we ever said, we'll apply that in a second, never mind. All right, John 18, verses 17 and 18. This is when Peter's being confronted. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around the fire they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself, and they asked him, you aren't one of those disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man who, whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. If we think we're strong, and if we think that we're not susceptible to sin, we need to keep reading John 18. Because if Peter is able to do this after he was straight up told by Jesus that he was going to do it, and then he looked at Jesus and said, I would never do that, we are definitely susceptible to sin seizing the opportunity in our lives. We need to see sin as it is. It is dangerous. And we need to recognize that in our lives. Peter knew, and he still denied Jesus. This is how sin operates, and we need to be almost. No, wait, did I already pass it? Sorry. I, whatever, it doesn't matter. We need to be aware of how sin operates in our lives. Okay? That's the first thing. The second thing is we cannot rely on simple obedience. Okay? Now, let's pause for a second. I'm not saying that we shouldn't obey, okay? That's what this whole thing's been about. I'm not saying that we should just do our own thing and just rely on God's grace. Paul says, by no means, right? Should we continue to sin so that grace may extend? By no means. After we see how sin operates, we need to recognize what our obedience does in response to that. Are we obeying out of simple obedience? What I mean by that is, are you reading scripture and are you just doing the motions, but your heart is not invested in the obedience? Because I think if we read John 14, 15 again, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commands, right? Out of that reflection of love, therefore you keep my commands. It's not, I keep my commands, therefore I love you. No, it's when you have a relationship with God, the automatic response is obedience, so when we see things that are difficult to obey sometimes, we recognize, you know what? God loves me, and I love him. Therefore, out of that place, I obey. And when we rely on our own, excuse me, when we rely on our own obedience, guess who we're relying on? Ourselves, right? When we just say, I am a Christian, therefore I obey and do these things, what happens when you make mistakes? 
your faith breaks apart, right? Because at the end of the day, you're just relying on yourself. You're relying on your own works, your own, your own deeds. And, and I get it, guys. Faith without works is dead. I am, I am fully aware of that, right? But we need to love God in order to keep his commandments. When we love God, therefore, we will keep his commandments. We cannot rely on our own obedience to fulfill God's law. And if we really, I I just want to go back to this in in Romans 7. I don't have it on here, but your Bibles might be open. I'm just going to read Romans 7, beginning in verse 4. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. Not your own body, right? You didn't do anything. You also, excuse me, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear the fruit of God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit of death. But now, this is important, by dying to what's bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in a new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. We are not throwing away the law, saying it's bad. Paul says that much, but he's saying Christ is bigger than that, and Christ is bigger than you. We cannot rely on ourselves. We cannot rely on our little obedience when it comes to serving God. His love carries this out for us. Be aware of how sin operates, and don't rely on your own obedience when it comes to following God. There's much more to the story than that. Of course, obey. Of course, do good deeds. But out of your heart, out of the love that you share for God, do good things. Next week, we're going to be in Romans 8. And we're kind of going to see how Romans 7 and Romans 8 work together. But this week, I pray that you recognize just how dangerous sin can be, but also how great God's love is in your life. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this time, and we thank you for giving us the opportunity to just spend some time in Romans 7, to recognize that, yes, we are, we are released from the law, that something much greater has come, but we recognize, God, that we still need to follow. We still need to be aware of how sin operates, and we need to be aware that our love for you is where our obedience should come from. It's not on our own strength, but it's on your son's strength that we can do this. God, help us to be mindful of these things as we go from here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have any needs this morning, we invite you to come forward. If you have any prayers, please make them known. If you don't want to come forward, find somebody you like in the back and talk to them. Maybe not today, maybe tomorrow. Find somebody that you can talk to. Uh, If you want to be baptized, this is a time as good as any. Come while we stand and we sing.